morning. All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing your hope in Christ, because there is no hope apart from Christ. Amen? And it's been great to be listening to everyone's redemption story here. I hope uh, many of you guys get a chance to share. Sometimes we could know people for a while, and we know exactly what was their story and how the Lord delivered them, how the Lord saved them. So it's been fun to hear these stories. Who else is having fun listening to them? All right? All right, guys. Once again, it's a pleasure to be sharing the Word of God with you. As you all know, we are in a series in the book of Mark. We're going to be um, taking a look at Mark chapter 4 today. And uh, the title of the message is The Parable of the Soils. Now, many of us have heard this referred to as the parable of the sower, but the more that I read it, I feel like it's really about the soils more than the, the sower. Amen? The sower is the most important person in the story. It's about the soils. It's about the hearts of the people, but we'll get more into that later. Um, let's read that together. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 says, Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand. Least they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And later on, he goes on to explain this parable to them. We'll get into that in a little bit. Our big idea today is that Jesus calls his followers to hear, respond, and share the gospel. The way a person responds to the word of God reflects the condition of their heart. And I ask you to join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you grateful that you have given us your word, Lord. Because you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And I pray for everyone here that's here physically, that's listening on Facebook, and anyone that may listen to this message. I pray, Lord, that you may make our hearts fertile, make our hearts soft, make our hearts teachable. Open up our hearts to your word and to your truth, 
And we pray that in our lives that you may produce much fruit. Help us to know you. Help us to understand why you use parables. Help us to understand the condition of our own heart. And I pray that you may motivate us to be sowers. To share your truth and your gospel everywhere that we go, Lord. That we may share it, that we may share it often, that we may share it every opportunity that we have. That we may continue your mission as the one that has come to bring the kingdom of God and to share the good news. And we ask you this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take a look at that big idea again. Jesus calls his followers to hear, respond, and share the gospel. The way a person responds to the word of God reflects the condition of their heart. So we are in chapter 4. Um, Jesus is about two and a half years into his ministry. And he's about one year away from getting crucified. And he's been preaching the truth that he has brought the kingdom of God to earth. And everybody responded differently. You had some people that responded with, with faith and, and they started to follow Jesus. By this time he had developed a large crowd. And you have some people that heard the message and they had rejected Jesus. This is mostly the Pharisees and the religious leaders. In the last chapter, the Pharisees were basically calling him a demon. His family members thought he was crazy and they were trying to take him home. But yet he still had those people that were following him. And we find ourselves today in the Sea of Galilee. And this, many scholars and theologians believe that this is the greatest, the largest crowd that Jesus had during his old ministry. They believe that there was about five to 7,000 people here trying to listen to this one man speak. And when I read the Bible, I like to jump into the Word of God. I like to try to place myself there because the truth is that this was a real place and there was a real Jesus that was preaching a real gospel. Amen? Sometimes we see the words on the page and we don't think about that, that he was actually there. So I want to show you where most theologians and historians believe that he shared this gospel from. They call this the Cove of the Sower. Why? Because they believe that he, maybe I'm going to rename it the Cove of the Soils, because I like that name better for the, for the parable. But the Cove of the Sower, we not, may not be able to tell there, but there's, I mean, we see the sea there. We see the land sort of curving around the sea. And from the, from the sea all the way up to the highway that was probably not there when Jesus preached, um, it was a little hill that went upward. And I've watched videos of people speaking from the bottom and people being at the top and being able to hear. So Jesus, being the great scientist he was, because he created all this anyway, he knew that he can use the water and the land for his voice to amplify. As, uh, it says here that Jesus went onto a boat and started to teach. They believe he may have moved back in the water, maybe about 30 feet, and his voice just rode, rode the waters and rode the, uh, the, the land all the way up. So this was a great scene. I mean, I was, when I was watching videos, the videos online, you wanted to check it out. I was like, this is cool, you know? So anyway, that's how Jesus, uh, he knew his creation. He knew the way he w made it work. And he used it to his advantage. He spoke to about, they say, about five to 7,000 people here. So let's take a look at, um, ooh, wrong way, the purpose of the parables. First of all, what is a parable? One of the simplest definitions I have found is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, which is true, but there's so much more to it. So the, same, the word parable uh, comes from the same root word as parallel, 
and it means placing one thing on the side of another. So parallel lines, if you guys are, went to math class in fourth grade, are two lines that go alongside each other. So the parables were stories that he would tell that would support what he was teaching about the kingdom of God. And yes, that made them memorable. Yes, uh, we like word pictures and help us to remember things. But that wasn't necessarily the reason why God, why Jesus spoke these parables. Many of these parables were used and they made people think. I mean, if you're around me enough, I come up with a lot of word pictures and I try to explain things through examples. But usually when I give these examples, I'm trying to make this, I'm trying to make it very easy for someone to understand what, I, what I'm saying. I don't know if I do a good job of that, but Jesus he used these stories, not necessarily to make it easier, but in a sense to make it harder. He made people think when he said these stories. So, it's like, so those people that were seeking truth, that were seeking God, and they were seeking, knocking, and asking, for them, the kingdom of God was opened up to them. But for those that had rejected Christ, they stayed right there. So there's an interesting uh, use of, of stories. So a great uh, definition of a parable comes from Warren Wiersbe, and it says, A parable begins innocently as a picture that arrests our attention and arouses our interest. But as we study the picture, it becomes a mirror in which we suddenly see ourselves. If we continue to look by faith, the mirror becomes a window through which we see God and His truth. How we respond to that truth will determine what further truth God will teach us. If we seek the Lord, if we are seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness, not only will he provide all that we need, but he will continue to open up himself to us so that we can know and grow and understand him. And also, um, when, when he starts off this parable, he uses the word hear or listen. He starts it and ends it with the same Greek word. That means not just to listen, not just to hear. I mean, if you have children, you know that they hear a lot of what you're saying, but sometimes they're not really listening, right? So he was telling them to listen, to listen, to heed with the intention of obeying. Not just to go in one year, one year, not the other, but he said, listen. And he also said, behold. So in my language, I'll be, this, I'll be saying, Yo, peep this. Or yo, check this out. But he was saying, if, if you hear me say that to you, then I want you to really pay attention to what I'm saying. Jesus was saying, look, or listen, look. I'm going to tell you something that's really important. And anything that, that Jesus says to us is important. But anyway, in verse 10, he took some time with his disciples and the people that were around him to speak to them a little bit about these parables because they were confused. They did not understand them. And those that were on the outside stayed with the parables. The ones that were closest to him, that were seeking him, that wanted to know and to grow in the kingdom of God, he got to explain to them a little bit. And he said, when he was alone, it says in verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and he's uh, quoting Isaiah here, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand. Least they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? And from then on, he goes to, on to explain the parable a little bit to them, which we're going to get into in a second. But in a sense, when he was speaking in parables, 
These parables were judgment for those that rejected Jesus. Um, in Matthew's uh, story of the parable of the, of the soils, he, 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 he um, irons this out a little bit more. And I'm going to read Matthew 13, verse 10. It says, Then the disciples come and, came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been. And he says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will, and he will have an abundance. But from, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So just like I said, when we are seeking the Lord, the, when, we want, when we have hearts that are fertile, ready to receive his word, we get to know more, and we get to understand. But for those that rejected him, this was judgment for them, because they continued to reject them. Sinclair Ferguson says, he didn't speak in parables because he liked using illustrations. You know, people often say to their teachers, you should use more illustrations like Jesus. Jesus spoke in parables because he found it the best way to expose the true spiritual condition of those to whom he was preaching. Parables are not merely illustrations. In a sense, they are tests of where we are spiritually. The conditions of man's heart when they hear the word of God, will determine whether they receive it and grow from it or not. So in a sense, Jesus had this crowd, and this is something that Jesus would do. And one thing about the parables, at this point, he started to teach it publicly only in parables. And what happened was that the hearts of people were, be, were being revealed. So there were times, there were many people in these crowds that they followed Jesus, but when he started saying these hard sayings, these things that were hard for them to understand or hard for them to surrender to, what happened is that the crowd started, started dwindling down and there were less people following him. So did he lose disciples or did he just lose crowds? Because those that walked away weren't his to begin with. The ones that stayed, it proved that they were his to begin with. They were Jesus' followers. And this is one thing that the, the, that the parables did. Like I said, he's near the end of his ministry by the time we get here. And he start to, he's starting to divide. And not on, I mean, Jesus knows everybody's hearts. But he was maybe exposing to them where their heart really were after. At this time, people might have been, they, they maybe wanted to follow Jesus because a lot of them believed that he was going to take them out of, uh, from under the thumb of the Romans because the Romans treated them badly. And when they started to see that Jesus wasn't coming to be this military leader to lead them out, they started saying, you know what? I'm not going to follow this guy. What am I going to get out of this? Or some of them couldn't handle the persecution. Because at this time, the followers of Jesus, they were coming and they were being persecuted. And, and still to this day, we have a lot of people that get persecuted. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let me slow down. <laughs> anyway, so... Everybody here during this time, they, ha they were listening to the same message that Jesus was preaching. They saw him perform all these miracles. He was delivering people from demons. He was healing the sick. And he, they saw his love and compassion. But still, everybody responded differently. Some people embraced it. Some people wanted to kill him. And like I said, some people followed him for a little while. But they started to go away from him when they saw that they, things weren't going the way that they wanted to. So, as I said earlier, he said, listen. He said, behold. 
So he was trying to get their attention and, and trying to lead them. And I said, the word listen, it means he's, there's a, there, it's not just hearing it. It's, it's about there being a response of, of surrender to him. And he said in verse 9, he who has, an e- he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So like I said, the use of parables would, would be able to reveal who actually has ears to hear what the kingdom of God is all about. What would happen is the, the, the sower would go out, an ancient sower would have a bag either on his neck, on his shoulder, and he would go out to the field and he would just broadcast seeds. And he would throw it as far as he can, he would throw all the seeds that he can, and it would fall whatever, wherever it would fall. And, 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 and depending on the soil, that would, uh, if the soil was good soil, it would take it in. If it was bad soil, it wouldn't. So the parable of the sower, just like most parables, they have characters in it. So the sower is, oops, the sower is Jesus, because he originally was the one that brought the message of the kingdom of God and the gospel, the good news. And now those of us who hold on to this message in our hearts and in our hands and share it and distribute this message, now we become sowers. So in the parable, in this parable, when it talks about the sower, originally Christ, and now we are the sowers. Now, the seed is the word of God, especially the gospel, because we know that the word of God is about Jesus and salvation from beginning to end. Even the Old Testament is pointing toward Christ. The New Testament speaks about Christ and points back to Christ and salvation through Christ. So Jesus was, it's about Jesus in creation, Jesus in salvation, and Jesus in consummation. When all things come and all things are restored to the way that Jesus intended it to be. So it's not about the, the style of the sower. It's not about whether the sower uses his left hand or right hand or if he throws it around his back. It's about the seed. And if the seed is the word of God, if we are preaching the true word of God, the true gospel, then it doesn't matter uh, and I'm not saying that we don't. We do our best. We want to be able to be educated. I want to be a good teacher. I try hard to learn and to. But at the end of the day, it's the word of God that changes people's lives. I may say a joke and it may make you laugh. The way that I present things in a clear way may grab your attention, but it is the word of God that I am teaching that is supposed to be producing uh, truth in our li- in, in your life. Well, that depends on your heart, right? So anyway, so we, we, we'll talk about the different soils later on. Um, so the first soil that we come across here is the hardened soil or the, or the wayside or the path, which represents the hardened heart. In the parable in, Mark, in verse 4, he says, and, he sow, and, he, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the, and the birds came and devoured it. The path was basically... So if you have a large field, in order for you to reach all your crop, this, this starts to be a path that you start to walk on. And they would practice walking around the same path because as you walk on soil, it becomes hard-pressed and it becomes hardened. So there were people going by there, depending how big the field, there might have been horses going by there. So this, this soil would get compressed, hard, and numb. So when the seeds fell on it, they would not go into the soil. And you know, I mean, if you've ever had a sandwich on the beach, you know that seagulls are chilling all around you trying to see what you drop and, and sometimes try to take things out of your hand. These birds were the same way. So the, par- the, the sower, as he threw soil, when it fell on the path, these birds will come in and they'll just eat it up. So Jesus says, there's an explanation in verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes 
and takes away the word that is sown. This is the heart of someone that does not receive the word of God. They hear it, but it just doesn't click. There is no conviction, there is no realization of sinfulness, and there is no realization that the answer to all that they have is Jesus. They don't understand the gospel. One thing that I've learned in having conversations with people, I have never had a conversation with a person and that, that, that... I've never had a conversation with a person that rejects God totally that really understands the gospel. Like when I have conversations with people that understand the gospel, it's only believers. They might be able to word for word say what I say or maybe hear Greg Laurie's presentation of the gospel and say word for word what he said, but they really don't get it. And that's when you, have st- you start having conversations with people saying, oh yeah, so you know, we just have to be good enough to go to heaven. That's not what the gospel teaches. Or, or, you know, and, and, and they just, if you, if you ask them to, to give their understanding of what the good news of the gospel is, they really don't understand it. And this is not an insult to intelligence. This is just a condition of their heart. They cannot really understand the truth of what God has done for us and what Jesus has done for us. They don't believe. So, you, this can be a, an angry atheist online that's trying to disprove God all the time. And I'm not saying that all atheists are like this, but this can be that, or this can be the person that may be religious, comes to church every Sunday, knows how to say hallelujah, knows how to talk the language, but there's never any change in their heart. So I'm not talking about this person. I'm talking about anybody that has a hardened heart. We can have a hardened heart and be angry, or we can have a hardened heart and be apathetic. So that, I mean, I can be speaking to someone here that has a hardened heart. I don't know. Even in all churches, we can't, we can't be ignorant to think that everyone that, that, is, that, that are in our churches are true believers of Christ. And that's one of the reasons, even we have no, you know, we, we believe that the gospel is maintenance for our soul, but we're sharing the gospel just in case. Because we pray that one day, if there's someone that has a hardened heart, that one day God break up that heart. And then we sow the seed of the gospel that that seed may be received into their heart. Amen? Which is something you should always be praying for. Always be praying for people's hearts. Don't give up sharing the gospel to them. You just never know when it's somebody's time. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says... Did I put it up here? No, I don't think I did. Oh, I did. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Satan has blinded the minds of our unbelievers. We do well to pray for the people that reject God. Not be angry at them. Not even feel that we're better than them because we don't. Because the issue is not the intellect. The issue is always the heart. And most people that reject God outrightly, they say that they reject God because of these external things. But it's not anything out here. They reject God because their heart rejects God. So anyway, the second, so, the second soil is the shallow heart. In the, in the bar, parable, verse 5, it says, Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. So the sower uh, sows the seed, the, the plant immediately sprouts up, and the farmer is excited. He sees some, something growing on, and he says, okay, we have some good uh, a harvest that's going to be coming here soon. But there's topsoil, and under it, 
It's a, a rocky uh, limestone bedrock. So as the seed tries to go down, I mean, as the, as the roots try to grow down in order to get some moisture, it hits this, this rock and it cannot go anymore. And what happens is, with, with roots, we gain stability, and, we, and the roots also uh, get nourishment and water. So it's not able to gain any nourishment, and it dries up. And when the sun comes out and hits this plant, it scorches it, and it burns it because it has no moisture and no life to it. So it sprouts up re- really quick, but then it ends up being dead. Jesus' explanation is in Mark 16, uh, 4, 16. He says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground to ones who... The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So, these people, I mean, if you've been, and I, when you, if you've been in church for a while, you, you get to, to meet these people. They come in. They're happy about the gospel message. They're happy that they can be saved from their sin. They're happy they can be forgiven. They're happy they can be cleansed. And they're happy to have a relationship with God. And this seems like there's salvation here. But then what happens is, just like it says in verse 17, that when tribulation and persecution comes, then immediately they fall away. There is no long-term growth. There's immediate reaction. But we know that I mean, at the end of the day, time tells. Time tells all things. And um, it's, sometimes when I, when I hear, you know, somebody went out and preached and 2,000 people got saved, you know, it's exciting because we're like, yeah, but I wonder sometimes how many of those are this, this uh, shallow soil. And I'm not saying that I'm being negative or pe- pessimistic about it. I'm just being realistic. And this is why when we hear messages of someone or we hear someone come to Christ, we do well to come and embrace them and to disciple them and to be able to help them along because we are praying that as they continue to grow that there is something that, that's real and not superficial. Right? So let's do that. Um, tribulation means affliction. It means uh, when we go through tough times where there's suffering. So a lot of times people come, but then when tough times start happening for them and they start to struggle, they start to fall away. So... Um, they start to question God. They start to question whether God really loves us. And they start to question whether, whether you know, I mean, the enemy starts speaking to them and starts turning them, their hearts away from God. And they, well, you know, it's because the truth is, I mean, we all suffer. We all go through stuff. We all go through stuff that we are not prepared for. But during those times when we are true believers, our roots start to go deep. And we gain stability and strength and we find joy in the middle of that. But for someone that doesn't have that depth of soil, there's not, they're not able to go uh, deeper here. So, you know, sometimes, you know, there's sickness, loss of a loved one, marital issues, uh, financial issues, and struggles, and they start to doubt, does God really love me and stuff? And a lot of times they turn away. But the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Like I said, when we are true believers, our roots start to dig deep and we gain, we gain strength, stability, and growth. But for others, it reveals that, this, that our hearts was, were, weren't fertile uh, 
fertile uh, uh, a soil and then the root starts to die. So if we feel like we're this person, then how do we respond? Because the truth is, if you think about it, think about the disciples. When, when all the persecution started to arise, a lot of them fell away for a season. So there's like, okay, are, this, are they good soil? Are they the, 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 uh, the, the, the shallow soil? But what happens is they repented and they turned to Christ. And their roots grew so deep that all of them were willing to die for Jesus eventually. All the disciples were, were, were martyred except for John. They tried to kill him. He just wouldn't die. So, but, the, but it got to the point when, when persecution, persecution rose up during one time in their life, they turned away. But at the end of their lives, they were persecuted ultimately, and they lost their lives for the gospel. Amen? So, man, if we feel like we're struggling with this, man, let's, let's cry out to the Lord. Let's, let's seek the Lord. Let's, let's, let's go after the things that help us to grow in loving Jesus. And let's turn away from the things that, that distract us from Christ. And when it comes, uh, so, so that was uh, tribulation. But, uh, I, I, I spoke a little bit about persecution also. The tribulation is suffering, like the regular life, hitting life. Then persecution is suffering for being a Christian. Those are two different things. So some people just suffer with regular life, but the disciples suffered because they were Christians. And that was the persecution. So, like I said, if this is you... Then run to, when you find, if you find yourself, when things get hard, tempted to run away from God, then run towards him and just fall at his feet. Cry out to him for strength and let those roots break through the bedrock in your heart and just pulverize them so you can have some deep uh, relationship with God. Amen? Yeah, so the, 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 the third uh, uh, soil is the crowded heart. In verse 7 it says, other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So again, the soil looks good on the outside, and the farmer may have gone and tried to pull some weeds out, but anybody that had weeds know that that's pretty hard to do, especially here in Texas. Like, there's sometimes I've worked hard, and I thought I got them from the root, and then when the water comes, they just grow up again. They just come up. So the weeds, weeds they, they absorb all the water and they grow fra- faster like, than grass. I, my, my, my experience with grass, not with wheat here, like it's talking about here. But they grow fra- faster than the grass. And I'm like, man, why are they getting all the water? Why is everything, you know, the grass is like down here and the weeds are up here. And what they do is they basically choke the life out of the grass. So thorns are weeds and they do the same here. Jesus' interpretation, verse 18, says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this is actually good soil, but it's surrounded by weeds and thorns. And it says, The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things so all of us have responsibilities, all of us have things that we have to take care of. We pay bills, we go to work, we have children, maintain our marriages, try to, have, try to be healthy, all these things that we have. And, and we know that, that those things, they can actually crowd our heart and choke the Word of God. So what happens is when we start to worry about these things instead of trusting God to take care of them. And I'm not saying that we put our hands up and don't be, and don't be responsible. There is a way for us to be responsible for all that we need to take care of and at the same time trust God in the middle of it. Amen? 
But when we are not able to find that balance, someone that has thorns around them, it just starts to choke the life of it. Matthew 6, te- Matthew 6 teaches not to worry about your life, not to worry what you will eat, not what you, what you will drink, and not what you will wear. It says that life is more than food and what you wear. And it talks about the lilies and the grass, how God clothes them. He takes care of them and even the birds of the field, and they don't worry. So the same thing with us. We need to be able to do that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Like I said, God wants us to be responsible and take care of these things, but we are able to do that and trust God in the middle of it. We do what we have to do, but trust God to be able to be our ultimate provider. So those are the worries of the world. Also, the deceitfulness of riches. The Bible, one of the, 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 the Bible is misquoted. Uh, one of the ways that the Bible is misquoted the most is you hear people say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. Money is not a bad thing. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So to love money and to love riches, it says here the deceitfulness of riches because riches deceive us. Well, if it's our riches, they deceive us into thinking that we will be satisfied and we will be able to, to, to be safe and to have control that we have money. But someone gets sick and you can't buy their health. Or, or we can lose every, everything sometimes in one thing. That happens. So whether we have a lot of money or we don't have a lot of money, riches can become an idol for us. The rich person, it becomes an idol because they want more and more. The poor person thinks, if I had that money, then I'll be satisfied. So this, these things can drive our lives and they can choke the seed of the word of God that's in our lives. And then when it says uh, uh, the, the desire for other things. I think right now we're at a time that we have a bunch of other things, a lot of other distractions, our phones, uh, games on our phones, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever it is. We have so many things with the Internet. You know, like if I'm watching a movie, I'm like, I think I saw that guy in another movie. What movie was he in? You know, like it's, we get distracted so easily. We have so many other things that want to crowd our heart. And this is something I was thinking about, and I'm not sure if it's true yet. I haven't given much thought, but I'm thinking about this. If something is more important than Christ in my life, it's an idol, right? But what happens when I have a bunch of things that maybe not individually, they might not be idols, but is it idolatry when all these other things altogether are higher than Jesus in my life? Does that make sense? So I'm just thinking about that. You know, there might be time that we have to let things go that are not necessarily sinful. And if you notice that there's something, it doesn't have to be a sin, that just really pulls at your heart a lot, that wants to take up your space, your attention, your thoughts, your time, that makes you become irresponsible in other areas of your life, then there's something you need to consider, whether you need to go before the Lord, because those things can choke your life. Amen? So even though these are about hardened hearts that don't know Christ, I feel like there's a little bit of all these things in, in my life that I need to be able to maintain. So it, 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 I think we can apply it to our lives also. Luke 12:15 says, take, Jesus said, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of abundance of his possessions. Again, the, the soils here reveal our heart. It reveals whether we are earthly minded or we are heavenly minded. 
Whether if we are uh, earthly minded, we are fleshly minded, and we think about the things of the flesh and not the things of the spirit. But if we are uh, spiritually minded, then we are earthly minded. In other words, is, is the Bible says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Do we treasure the things that are eternal, the things that are of heaven, or do we treasure the things that are temporary, the things that are transient? Because and, and it's, it's the, what you treasure is the thing that's the most important to you. And whatever's most important to you, this is what you love. So I think that a lot of these soils, they start to reveal what's most important to people. And some people are not able, because their soil is not fertile, they are not able to make the transition to become heavenly minded. Amen? So, if any of us think that we are one of these soils and we think that we, if we've seen that we have fallen away and we have learned a lesson that our heart is really shallow, then I invite you to repent and cry out to Jesus. Like I said, the disciples may have realized that at that one moment, but they repented, they turned back to God and they ran to him to the point that they died for him. If you find yourself that your heart is crowded by so many things that it seems like you can grow in your relationship with God, again, I invite you to repent. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And allow these roots to go deep so that you can be a fruitful Christian, a fruitful believer in God that stands for Christ and not only lives their lives to serve him in a way, but serves him in, in, in the way that they continue, that we continue his ministry to be sowers. We're going to look at the faithful sower. Oh, you know what? I didn't even look at the receptive heart. I skipped the most important one. So anyway, verse 8 says, And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain. Kevin's always focusing on the bad. Just kidding. <laughs> and other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Thirtyfold, oh, must be a typo there. But he who has ears, let him hear. So a crop was expected to produce tenfold. So this, 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 uh, what, what uh, Jesus was talking about here, it was a, an abundant harvest. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So this soil was soft. It was fertile. It was broken up. There was no limestone bedrock. There, was no, there were no weeds in there to choke it. It was open. It was clean. And when it received the word, the seed went in. And, and the seed died, and plants started growing deep roots. And this is the way that we want to be. His explanation said in verse 20, But those who were sown on good soil, and the ones who hear the word and accept it, are, are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and, and bear fruit. This is who we want to be. And like I said, if we find ourselves being one of the other ones, God can take a heart that is hard, God to take a heart that is crowded, and God to, can take a shallow heart and make it this soft, fertile soil. You cannot do it. 
If you find yourself one of these, you can't do it. Only God can do it. But I invite you to cry out to him and to surrender because this is what life is all about. Jesus gives life. He told the disciples when they started leaving, are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, where will we go? You alone have the words of life. Life is truly experienced in Christ. And one thing that non-believers don't understand is that to serve Jesus for a true believer, it's our joy. This is, not some, this is not religion for us. This is not something that we have to do. We find joy in living for Jesus. We find joy in, in, in sacrificing our lives to live in a way that glorifies Him. We find joy in sharing His message to others. And I'm not saying that there's never tough times or it's not hard to do some of these things. But at the end of the day, this is our joy. So with the true soil, it produces life. And the more the, we're seeking God... We start to uh, receive more and more from Him. We start to grow in knowing Him. We start to growing in, in, in our affections for Him get stirred up more and more. And we love Him. And we live as people that are full of joy, full of life, and full of Jesus. This is who we want to be. God can turn it around. He can do all of the things that we can't do for ourselves. So like I said, if you find yourself one of these, one of these soils... Cry out to the Lord and he can do it. Amen? So, the faithful sower. How do we become a faithful sower? How do we continue the mission of Jesus? I think one of the things that we have to... And some of these things I may have said again, but I'm going to go back to them. And also, this is... You can pay attention now. This is actually one of the applications. So, I'm not going to go over it again, but this is one of the applications. Be a faithful sower. One of the things we have to know is that the only thing that produces life is the seed. We can, people, I don't like to bash the body of Christ, but people have created big churches without the seed. They have used different techniques and all these other things that the true gospel is not being preached. So true converts are not there, but, that yet, but yet they might be statements full of people that think they know God. And that's heartbreaking. Be faithful to the Word of God. Be faithful to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to know the Word of God, and to share the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that produces life. Not the techniques that we use. It's what the Word of God that does this. Amen? So if you want to be a faithful sower, make sure you have real seed in your bag. And another thing that we have to know is that it's not our job to save people. You cannot save anybody. You can work hard, but you can't save anybody. It's not our job to save people, but it's our job to be sowers. It's our job, like I said, to broadcast seed. Just like a radio. A radio, it's, it, they're, they're, you know, whatever its coverage is, anybody that tunes to that station is going to hear it. And there might be people that might not tune to their station, but they won't hear it. But so let's have faith and let's every chance we get, let's sow seed. Let's throw it as far as we can and let's do it often. So let's let's continue to, to, to sow seed because like I said, we can't save anybody, but we can pray for their hearts and we can share the gospel with them. And another thing I say like this, um, I think about Jesus' brothers. Jesus' brothers, we saw in the last chapter, were trying to stop him from preaching and they, they did not become believers in Jesus, I mean, they believed that he was there physically, but they did not uh, give their lives to God through Christ until Jesus died and resurrected. 
Isn't that interesting? So two of his brothers, James and Jude, wrote two books in the Word of God. And James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So this is a hardened heart that eventually became a soft heart and produced much fruit. Amen? So what I'm saying is this. If you share the gospel with someone and their heart is hardened, continue to share the gospel. Because the, that seed may have been stolen. A lot of times we say, oh, they know about it. They know. No, they don't know. Let's continue to share the gospel with people. And I'm not saying you ought to do it the same way or beat, it, beat people down with it. But ask the Lord for opportunities and share it in different creative ways. But continue to share the gospel with people. And to everyone. And another thing, it's a huge mistake that we make, and I think I make this too. We tend to share the gospel with people that we think have fertile soil. We cannot look at a man's heart. Only God can do that. I remember there was a case, well, let me read this quote first, from Steve Lawson. It says, we can never truly understand where a human heart is. And if we restrict our witnessing to only those who we perceive are good soil, we will, sadly, we will be sadly mistaken because it is God who is at work beneath the surface of human hearts. It's our responsibility not to be sizing up the soil. It is our responsibility to be broadcasting the word of God and to be distributing the word of God as far and as wide as we possibly can and as much seed as we possibly can, and trust God to cultivate the soil that the seed will fall upon receptive hearts. Think about it. I know I was convicted when I read this. There might be people that I share the gospel with because it sounds like they're open to it. But the thing is, can we really tell the human heart? I remember there was uh, some friends of mine. So there were four guys hanging out in a car. Sounds like a joke, but anyway. So one guy was sharing the gospel with this other guy, that had a lot of questions. And they were having good conversation. This guy did not come to Christ. You know who came to Christ? His cousin that was in the back seat. My, and, my, and I'm saying my friend was wrong for engaging in this conversation. Yeah, it was good. He's having conversation. But the person that had no questions, that, was, that we, he thought wasn't really paying attention or interested, he ended up coming to Christ. We never know the condition of a man's heart. So let's not be, uh, let's not show favoritism towards someone that see and, and it of course it's harder to 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 share the gospel with someone that's not open to it open to it. that's just real realistic but if we're able to do it in ways like sometimes i, I i'm having conversation with people because i know that someone's over there listening you know and it could be like i, I can have i, I can't it could really have nothing to do with that person i'm trying to minister to this person just because i know they're in you know they're they're in uh ear uh whatever you know earshot that's thank you so anyway, so let's not, let's not, uh, anyway, let's, let's share the gospel with everyone that we can. Amen? So, I'll, I'll end with these application statements. And keep, if you want to, you know. The first one is, know what type of soil you are. Know what type of soil you are. And like I said earlier, oh, well, in my prayer, that God will help us understand the use of parables, why Jesus used them. That God will help us to understand what type of soil we are. And that God will make us uh, sowers of the kingdom of God. So realistically, we might have all four soils here. I might be talking to all four soils. Let's take a real long, hard look. And invite the Holy Spirit in this process. 
Invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you are. If I'm speaking about this and you don't even care about what I'm saying, then that could be revealing to you that your, so, that your heart is the hardened soil. Or maybe you've been here and, you know, there hasn't been any growth in your life since you've been coming. Ask God to pulverize the hardened soil and to make it soft. And like I said earlier about the angry atheist or the religious person and everybody in between, I pray that God will take the, so- the seed of his word and penetrate your heart this morning. If we are the shallow ground and find ourselves running back always to our sin when things get hard, then I said, like I said earlier, cry out to Jesus. Ask him to hold on to you because the reality is that he holds on to all of us or else none of us would be here still. Ask him to bring life. Go after the things that bring life. Run away from the things that bring death. Find good community. Be open with people. Find encouragement and choose to trust in God. If you find yourself as the crowded heart that that worries more about the things that they need and the riches of the world and everything going on around them, repent and surrender those idols to God. Go after Jesus, after knowing Jesus and after growing in faith. And if you are the receptive soil, then continue to live a life of repentance. Continue to live a life of faith. Continue to grow in your word. Continue to grow in your life and prayer before the Lord. Continue to grow in community and to grow as a witness to God. And like I said earlier, I gave you guys a spoiler alert that what we went at, what we spoke about being the faithful sower, be the faithful sower. Be the one that is constantly sharing the word of God, broadcasting it wherever he goes, looking for every opportunity. I tell people that my, I don't know if you guys know what Double Dutch is. Double Dutch is that, uh, that jump rope game. And when you're playing it, you're, you're, you're trying to get in there. You're like, and you're waiting for the right opportunity. I tell people that my life is a constant game of Double Dutch. Just looking for an opportunity to jump in and share the gospel. And I invite you guys to be that way also. So, I'll, I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, we come before you. And we ask you, Lord, that you may reveal to us the condition of our hearts, Lord. Help us to be humble before you. Help us to repent. But Lord, we pray and we know that only you can make hard soil, crowded soil, or shallow soil. Only you can make it good soil, receptive soil. I pray for the hearts to everyone that's that's hearing this word today. And I pray that you may pull out the weeds, break the bedrock, break the hardened soil, and make it soft and fertile. And we ask you all this in your name, Jesus.